Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Right. You ready? Yeah. So let's shake it out, shall we, before we start? Shake, shake, shake. Shake, shake, shake. Shake your booty. Shake your booty. Oh, I've already pressed record. Hi, about. Hello there. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. I've got a question for you uh, to start with. Okay, this is very early on into the podcast. Now, when you listen to a podcast, where do you like to listen to a podcast? So, you know that we normally listen to podcasts when we're in the car. Yeah, and we know that a lot of people who listen to Bareback listen in the car. Um, We've had photos of people in Argentina, in Australia, driving through the outback listening to us, which is fantastic. But Lindsay's been on. She says she listens to us in the bath. In the bath. Yeah, and apparently it's her favourite bath of the week when she listens to us. Oh, that's so sweet. You know, you put some candles on, you put like a bath bomb, some, you know, some a little bit of glittery foam. Well, she's a little bit concerned that she may have annoyed her neighbours. With a podcast. Well, she was listening to the uh, the short story that I wrote the other week and they probably thought she was listening to some kind of like Mills and Boone spoof or something. Well, to be honest, um, it was a story, let's put it that way. It was a great story. It was a story. It was a great story. It is a great story and will always be a great story. It's a story. Anyway, please do get in touch. Let us know where you listen to Bareback Podcast. We are on Twitter at Bareback Pod. We are on Instagram at Bareback Podcast. We're on Facebook. Just search for us. Just type in Bareback in the search bar and you'll find us at some point. Or you can send us an email. Our address is barebackpodcast at gmail.com. So yeah, one of the things that I wanted to talk about about my week was that I had uh, a very eventful uh, night out. Lots of things that I can't talk about on air uh, for legal reasons. For legal reasons. Actual, genuine legal reasons. Okay, so... I mean, we're talking like I might get hunted down by the mafia. Okay, just tell the things that you can tell. I don't want to deal with the mafia. (laughs) So I was outside, outside of this bar with a friend of mine. We were having a few drinks. It was a lovely evening. And this guy came and sat near us. He'd had a few drinks, but I think he just wanted to, to have a bit of a chat, really. And he was pansexual. He, mm-hmm. he identifies as pansexual. I don't really think I've ever met anyone who identifies as pansexual. So, of course, I was absolutely fascinated. And I wanted to know, you know, what it meant and all that kind of stuff. Were you battering people with questions about their sexuality and their sexual identity no he was quite happy to talk about it you know I I wasn't pushing it and um, he was happily married to a female who also identified as pansexual as well it was all all really interesting and then we got starting to talk about his job um, me and my friend and he was a uh, he is a landscape gardener and she's really into her garden so they were chatting about that and all this kind of stuff garden talk and then it turned out that he was really interested in the podcast and he said, maybe I could come on as a guest and talk about it on the podcast. And I said, that would be great. So I gave him my number and I said, I'll speak to Ben, as in you, when I get back. Um, and we'll we'll sort something out. So I just sent him a text saying, hey. You know, so he had my number because he gave me his number first. 
Mm, I doubt that. You most likely sent Haya. No, hey. Yeah, yeah, I did. I probably sent him my saying, Haya. And immediately, bearing in mind, I was sat next to this guy. Okay. It was quite a busy bar. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were literally like knee to knee. Okay. No, no, that's how close we were. And he sent me a dick pic. A dick pic? Well, of his dick. Well, yeah, that's kind of the definition of a dick pic, isn't it? While we were sat next to him. Okay. Was it a good dick? It was a dick pic. I mean, this is like not 2001. Okay, show me the dick pic. You want to see it? Yeah, of course I want to see it. Okay, Um, it's not a bad dick. (laughs) I mean, it's not mine, so you should not be interested, but it's not a bad dick. I was like, whoa. And I didn't really know what to do at that point. So I basically stood up and went to the toilet, because that's what British people do. Okay. When, when they're in danger, just stand up and go to the toilet. Well, I thought if I went to the toilet, I didn't need a wee. But I thought if I went to the toilet, when I came back, I could sit somewhere else. Okay, I would have thought that you went to the toilet expecting him to follow you in no, to the no, store. Sure. What kind of person do you think I am? A slag. <laughs> I'm not a slag. You know I'm not. I live with you. I'm not a slag. I know you're not a slag. Why would I want a beef burger when I've already got a perfectly good bit of steak at home? Ah, that's so nice. So anyway, I went to the toilet, so I thought, come back, I'll sit somewhere else, because where we were outside, and then I'm not at least going to be within swiping distance of him. And um, I got back, and my friend looked immediately at me and said, I think it's time we leave. And I was like, yeah, I do think it's time we leave, actually. I don't really want to be around this person anymore. So we kind of very politely said our goodbyes, Mm -hmm. and he went one way to get a taxi, and we went the other way to get home. And I said to my friend, as soon as we were out of earshot of him, he's just sent me a dick pic. And she was like, well, he just showed me his while you were in the toilet. I was like, what? She was like, yeah, I was asking him about his landscape gardening. I wanted to see his latest project. So, you know, show me what you've been working on. And he just got his phone out and showed me a picture of his cock. Oh, that's nice. And she said, well, they aren't the gladiolis I was expecting. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) so we had been... Both dick picked. I mean, literally, I had a dick pic through text, but my friend had one. Yeah, like live, almost well, live, no. not in the flesh, but <laughs> thank God, still a dick pic, not a dick. Yeah. So, uh, so we were walking. We were walking off to get home, and he whooshed by us in the taxi, wound down the window, and he says, "Are you definitely going home?" And we were both like in unison, "Yes." I do not want yeah. to go back with you to your dungeon that your wife's probably, like, preparing. I just want to go home, have a mug of Horlicks and watch the EastEnders Omnibus, thanks very much. See? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I guess I suppose I... Yeah, should I be jealous? Well, I mean, I told you. No, 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 no. Not even... Uh, I mean, I've still of... got it, Bab. That, that's what you need to know. I've still got it. Like, so there, are, there are people out there who are into me. So, oh, no, I thought, I thought you meant that you still had the dick pic. I oh, know, I've still got it, as in, I've still got it. Oh, yeah, you still got it. You're still cute. You're cute. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, that, at least I know that's two people who think that. Random bar, uh, landscape gardener guy, and, and I mean? the person who I've chosen to spend the rest of my life with. So, you know, it's everyone's a winner in this situation, apart from landscaper guy who didn't get me, nor my friend, but at least he had a wife to go home to. Choices. Mm. But, see... Um, I'm not jealous, but should I be mad as well? Because whilst you're, um, like, globetrotting the world and you're having nights out, I am here at home by myself 
not being a homemaker, because you won't let me be a homemaker, taking care of our cat. Oh, poor Jovi. He's not been very well, has he? To be fair, he's had a close encounter. Very close encounter. I know. Let, let me tell our listeners what happened. Uh, let me put some context. Jove is about 13 years old. Yeah, he's an old man. He's an old man. He doesn't have his top fangs. Uh, he lost them in surgery because they went well. Apparently, it's quite common in all the cats. The problem is we live in a new build estate where there's a lot of young couples. So everybody gets a puppy or a kitten. Or a baby. Or a baby. Or all three. Or all three. (laughs) Uh, But the point being is that all of the cats around us are probably no more than two years old. Mm -hmm. At least most of them. So you're talking very sort of young, energetic cats against Chobe that doesn't do anything other than sleep. So Chobe goes out at night. He doesn't go out all night, but he goes out for a good hour and a half, you know, especially around 10, 11 p.m. And he normally just sits and observes his domain, which is basically a corner and a driveway. And what happened is that we heard a noise. Well, we heard sort of cat screeching and we went out and it happened that he got into a cat fight. But I mean, it was quite a vicious cat fight in terms of there was fur all over the road. It was like, you know, sheep shearing in New Zealand. You know, it was it was crazy. I don't know the state of the other cat. Because he ran away, so I'm not sure whether that other cat was injured or not during the event. But Chobe had a little bit of a claw very close to his eye. Mm. So basically he came in and he had one of his eyes closed. So we took him to the bed the next morning. And the bed found that he had sort of like, basically the cat was miserable wasn't feeling well, so she didn't want to do a lot. So she just gave him some antibiotics, some painkillers, and sent us home. So we had to go again to the bed. And basically, they had a look at a little bit of the uh, of the eye. He had a little bit of a scarring around the eye, but they couldn't see inside because Chobe was still miserable and wouldn't let himself see. So whilst you were away, I had to take the cat to the bed for a third time. <laughs> For him to get his eye check. Unfortunately, he doesn't have an injury in his eyeball or anything like that. He's just had um, very, very close to the eye. He has looked like Popeye, though, all week, hasn't he? Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. He's been poor thing. He's been with painkillers all week. He's uh, been off his tits. He's been loving it. Yeah, poor thing. <laughs> he, he, does, have... he does love the painkillers, doesn't he? And, and also, I have to say, and this is probably really bad, but there's a part of me that hopes that the other cat was worse off than well i'm jove i'm not sure if worse off i'm 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 not sure whether i oh, i want jove to have won the fight but i kind of definitely hope that he's done some damage or gave as good as he got shall we say yeah something like that it's, i don't know it, it, it's a very silly thing is this what gets you know the parents of children when they play football matches and the parents get all right up and want to fight the referees and things like that is this that feeling i guess so i mean when we went when we went to the vets my blood was pumping because i thought what if we see one of the neighbors in the vets with their cat at the same time and i what am i going to say to them you don't know whether they're there, but I don't know. It's, it's a completely irrational feeling, isn't it? The fact that mm, he got into a fight. The fact that you want the cat to not have lost the fight 
it's quite irrational, isn't it? But I, I, I'll admit it that I still feel it. Anyway, the cat's feeling sorry for himself. Um, needless to say, he's had like a pack of dreamies. I mean, that was the other big thing as well. When he first had the injury, he didn't eat. And let's be honest, when does, you know, Jove takes after us. When does he never not want to eat? Yeah, Jove eats. But he's he's back on he's back on his twelve meals a day or whatever now. So um, his eyes open. If the, vet, if the vet's listening, uh, he only has three meals a day, and he is on the weight management food and no dreamies. And no dreamies. FYI. Yeah, FYI. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we had a, a, a busy weekend as well, didn't we? Indeed. What did we do? We went to Wakefield. Ah. In West Yorkshire. Okay. So we were meeting a friend in Leeds on Sunday. But I said to Ben, we'd watched a programme about Wakefield during lockdown, and in that programme they visited the UK's first, we've since found out that there's two, so I can't say only, but the UK's first drive through fish and chip shop. So I said, Ben, I want to go. Yeah, and I need to start pushing back when you want to drive 200 miles to go to a drive through fish and chips. Uh, excuse me. You also saw Western Europe's last example of a walking drag line. Basically like a giant pile of abandoned machine. That used to fuel the coal industry up there. Used to. A giant, I mean it was huge, it was a giant machine. And it was right next door to an RSPB, you know, Royal Society of Protection Against Birds Against birds. Sight. <laughs> yeah, is it preventing us? Is it preventing us from getting into a Hitchcock film? What does RSPB stand for? It's the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds. I would suppose not from birds. Pre- no, Prevention Against Cruelty to Birds. RSPCB. That's it. Okay. Anyway, they had a, like a nature reserve there that the mine that the walking dragline had excavated. And they'd obviously filled it in and made it into this lovely nature reserve. You had a nice coffee there. Then we went into Wakefield proper. And I took you to see a chapel on a bridge. Yeah. Again, I need to start pushing back when you propose some of these trips. Sorry. You know, most boyfriends would take their boyfriend to see a bridge or a chapel. I took you to see a chapel on a bridge. Who would take their boyfriend to see a bridge? Lesser boyfriends than me, <laughs> obviously. I mean, a bridge. So this is our boyfriend activity. Here it is, a bridge. And Well, I remember you saying that river's moving quite fast. And knowing your excitement levels are not the same as mine, that was you getting quite excited. Mm, sure. <laughs> now, let's go back to the fish and chips. Yeah, okay. So... <laughs> I know what you're going to say now. You might, you might not. Okay. The first thing about a drive through fish and chips. If you live 200 miles away, not worth it. <laughs> okay. Because realistically, the only reason why would you, you would want to go into a drive through fish and chips <laughs> is to take the fish and chips home. And we didn't have a home. We didn't have a home. We couldn't check into our hotel motel holiday inn. And it was raining. Point. It was raining. <laughs> but we didn't want to have it in the car because we didn't have we didn't want to have fried fish smell in the car. So we ate our meal standing over a bench in a park. Standing because the bench was completely soaked. So unless you have a home to go back to, drive through fish and chips, not worth it. 
<laughs> and the, the the thing that I was thinking of was that I got your order wrong. So when you opened your box of food, you were like, oh. Um, and I was like, oh, sorry. And it wasn't the problem of the fish and chips. It was you that got my order wrong. But look, right, regardless of that fact, in years to come, when you're, you know, with your friends or you're with your work colleagues and they're talking about fish and chips and where's the best place to have fish and chips or where's the worst fish and chips you have? Where's the weirdest place you've had fish and chips? Uh, you'll be able to turn around and say, I went to the UK's first drive through fish and chip shop in Wakefield. Yeah, or also when people ask, I can add fish and chips to my feud against drive throughs <laughs> To be fair, neither of us are a big fan of drive throughs really. I mean, we went to that one for the being a gimmick, but I always... I always look at people who are queuing for their McDonald's drive-thru and think, you're, you're waiting there for ages. You, you wait twice as long as you do if you go in. You look at all these people who are there in their cars and you think, that is going to be cold by the time you get home. Well, eat in. It's the way forward. It's the future. Well, my issue is when they first opened a, a McDonald's drive-thru back in Rosario... The queues were massive, but you had two queues. You had a queue to the drive-thru and a queue to the parking lot because people were just going to the drive-thru to then park in the parking lot of the McDonald's and have their meals there. And all I can think of is, what's the fucking point? Go in and sit in a table, in a chair. Why do you want to eat in the seat of your car? You're literally 10 metres away from a table. Well, I suppose that's because they don't want to eat a cold McDonald's when they get home. Well, yeah, but again, you can go in the restaurant, eat sitting on a table in McDonald's. Why would you go to the drive-thru to then park in the freaking parking lot? Well, well, I think that probably justifies the case for me opening a fish and chip drive-thru restaurant in Rosario. I think that will go down really well in Argentina. Well, people are going to then complain about the smell of fish in the cars. Because they will park there and eat it in the car. (laughs) But we had a lovely night out. We went to the Rainbow. So shout out to the Rainbow in Wakefield. Fantastic LGBTQ venue in uh, the centre of the city, which we found out. I always thought Wakefield was a town. But there is a cathedral there. We did see the cathedral. And we met some lovely people there. One random thing did happen there when we were in the bar. Well, we were sat outside in the beer garden. And one of the patrons at the pub just ran outside and shouted at the top of her lungs, Chocolate Orange! And we have no idea why. But when she did shout that, about five people ran into the pub. Yeah. Um, Well, we can assume that they were giving out chocolate oranges. But no one seemed to come back out with chocolate or anything. It was just very, very bizarre. Yeah, that is true. Maybe there's a rule and you have to eat it inside. (laughs) But I love the north of England. Everybody just talks to everybody. And it's the same in Scotland as well. People are just genuinely really friendly. And there was a 40th birthday party going on in their bar. And I said to the the lady behind the bar, I said, well, I presume we're not allowed in there. And she was like, no, obviously, everyone's welcome. And I was like, this is what I love about the North. Yeah, to be fair, people were really nice. People were really drunk as well. Not just in rainbows, because we we went for pie afterwards. Because apparently the thing in Wakefield is that you don't go to a, a, a kebab shop. You don't get a kebab, you get a pie. So we went and have a really nice pie. Oh, the Wakefield pie shop is a revelation. Uh, do you know what? I'm really glad that it's not a thing elsewhere because I would eat so many more pies. But the point being is that in rainbows, in uh, everywhere else, the amount of people absolutely hammered was way too high in comparison to a normal night out. 
Well, I think if you think, you know, people have not been able to go out as much because COVID. And Wakefield has always been known as a party city, you know? It's, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's where it's where people go and they want to mm. have a good time. And I, I've noticed as well, another thing that I love about the North is when people go out, they don't just go out for one or two. They go out. I mean, if you noticed how people were much more dressed up than the Midlands and further down south, people, they go out and they want to have a good time. They make an effort. Absolutely. And to be fair, I... Although there was a lot of police around, I didn't find anyone being, like, aggressively drunk or anything like that. People were just having a blast. Yeah. Yeah. It's the shaky, wakey spirit. Okay, Bab, so what are we talking about today? We are talking about Pride. Oh, I love Pride. Do you not? Uh, mixed feelings. Okay. I, I think that because we're talking about Pride, and for me Pride is a very serious topic. Oh, yeah, I mean, Pride is Pride is really serious. Yeah, but isn't it, I think that my feelings towards Pride are very um, sort of serious. So I don't know how choky I can get about when we talk about Pride, we're obviously talking about LGBTQ plus Pride. It started because of the Stonewall riots in the US at the Stonewall Inn. And it was essentially a political movement, you know, people wanting more acceptance of gay rights. And so it is really serious. And when we think about, you know, I suppose it's like when you think about Christmas, you know, it's not just about the presents. It's about, you know, if you believe in it, it's about celebrating the birth of Christ. Whereas Pride, we've got all the sparkles and the parades and all the concerts and all that kind of stuff. But really, when you when you peel all that away, it's about wanting acceptance and being equal to everybody else. Yeah, and another thing, I think that um, from the Stonewall riots into uh, Pride in other places in the world still, it is a protest, isn't it? It's about, it's about that, it's about protesting to get the same rights as any other human being. And we're reminding of that, of that constantly. You know, look at what happened in Turkey, even parts of Eastern Europe, Georgia. You know, it's still, it's that kind of burning mm-hmm. issue where, you know, when people say, why do we need pride? Why do we, why do we need all these kind of safe spaces? You might not need them, but there are people, even in this country and even in Argentina and all over the world, oh, yeah. Who need that? Who need that? And we and and I think Pride is an, is an, a wonderful moment for us to remember that, and we should never never forget it. Yeah, exactly. And and again, a few episodes back, we had Heidi Victoria for, from Pride in Hull, so we explored a little bit of of how it is in Hull. Fun fact about Pride in Argentina: Pride in Argentina is in November. Oh, really? Because normally it's in June in in the US. Maybe not so much here, although it is becoming more of a thing. They have Pride Month, which is obviously during June when the Stonewall riots happened. But yeah, most of the prides in the UK are sort of from the May Bank Holiday until mm-hmm. until until August. But I, why, why in Argentina is it in November? So it's in November for two reasons. The main reason being that is to commemorate the first, or sort of the foundation of the first gay men organisation, which dated back to the late 60s. So it's honouring their work, their protests, their uh, sort of attempts to get equality back in the 60s. So that's why it's in November, to coincide with the foundation of, of that. It has to be said, it's nicer weather. Oh yeah, of course, Southern Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we obviously went 
well, the last time we went to Argentina, on the first time I went to Argentina, the only time I've been to Argentina was at Christmas. Yeah. And it was hot. Yeah. It was really yeah. fun. Well, it's summer there. Southern so, Hemisphere. yeah. Tops off for the Pride Parade. The first Pride in Argentina was in 1992. Wow. So it wasn't that far back. Knowing how progressive Argentina is, particularly around sort of gay marriage and things like that, I would have thought it'd be much earlier because the first official UK gay pride rally was held in London in 1972. So I would, if you'd have asked me, I would have thought Argentina would have been around the same time, maybe even a bit earlier. You probably would have thought about it. Again, these uh, sort of homosexual organisation came up in the 60s. And, and again, we've had sort of homosexual organisations going back into the 30s, I think, if I remember correctly. But the first Pride was in 1992, and it was to a point where people that went to that Pride, actually most people covered their their faces to not be recognised. Wow. So we're talking about not that um, far. And we're talking, by the way, Pride in Buenos Aires, by the way. Uh, we're not talking about the Prides that are sort of local in the different uh, in the different regions. It's sort of the largest Pride, Pride March. It has grown a lot. It has grown a lot. I mean, you're talking about probably um, a few people in 1992. Fast forward a little bit later, and sort of the amount of people participating there goes up and up and up and up. By the time that gay marriage was legalised in Argentina, it was 2010. The following year, it was December 2010. In 2011, a quarter of a million people participated of Pride in Buenos Aires. So it has has really, really grown. And of course, as it grows in in the capital city, then it starts sort of trickling down to the rest of the country. So now you have Pride in Rosario for many years. Um, We've had it, although much smaller as well. But I think that the important bit about Pride in Argentina is that it's literally a march. So it starts uh, it, it starts in one place, finishes in the other. Where it finishes, there's a stage, but the stage is solely for speeches. So it's mostly political speeches and protest speeches. Given it might be different in the very very latter years since I moved to the UK, because I haven't been, but it's still a protest. It's still a march. It's still about rights. It, it, it's still about visibility. Mm. So it's quite a different, a very very different feeling from what you get from Pride here in the UK. I mean, the thing about Pride in the UK is that every town has its own now. And this is something, again, that's probably come about in the last sort of 10 years. You know, when I first moved down to the West Midlands, it was Birmingham Pride. But now there's Warwickshire Pride. And they do some fantastic things that obviously they haven't had a a physical event during the pandemic. But I I understand that they've painted one of the rainbow crossings in Leamington. It's uh, rainbow coloured now. And Mm -hmm. that's going to be a permanent fixture so they're doing other things as well and they've made sure that people felt connected during the pandemic, very much in the vein of what Heidi Victoria was talking to us about a few weeks ago in Hull. But I think you're right, I think, and maybe it's a good thing in one sense because it shows how accepting society is in this country in that Pride is less political now and it's much more about having a good time and bringing people together. Don't get me wrong, there's still that visibility element. No one mm-hmm. is pretending that Pride is not there because of queer visibility. But it is much more about a social and a a party atmosphere than it is. Even on these smaller prides, like when we were in Wakefield at the weekend, Mm -hmm. they'd had a pride the weekend before. And, you know, you looked at the roster and it was all drag queens. They had Nikki French, who represented us at Eurovision. 
those kind of acts and even that and from what the people in the bar were talking about it didn't feel like it was a particularly political event but maybe in those smaller towns and cities just having a pride is a political event yeah isn't it another thing is about the space having a safe space for queer people who need it what do you remember about your first pride well as you know i grew up in york and it's a very small city we had one gay bar that i used to go to i think i've spoken about it before you know There'd be a stripper in one corner, some old men, some some young kids, and everybody was kind of there. And then all of a sudden there'd be a meat raffle. You know, it, it would be, everything would be happening. Right, a meat raffle, like a lamb shank. Well, it was like a Navi's breakfast, which is basically like sausages, bacon, like a mixed grill, really. Okay. And I remember I won it once and I had to carry it home on the bus. You know, my mum was like, oh, where did you win that? I was like, oh, at the pub. And the pub. Um, <laughs> and I probably won it and went up to accept it while, you know, the stripper was literally lathering up next to me, you know, in, in baby oil. I mean, that's that's what it was like. Meat on meat. <laughs> meat on meat, yeah. So when I moved to Birmingham, that was when I went to my first Pride And it was just an absolute revelation, this absolute celebration of love and solidarity and all these different groups as well. You had like gay groups for older people, gay groups for people who were interested in sport and all this kind of stuff and different parts of the spectrum represented. And it was a real eye opener for me. And, you know, if I think about it and I've seen other prides elsewhere in the world, it was quite, you know, by those accounts, it was quite a small scale thing. But even just seeing some trans people on the back of a lorry, it just filled me with such hope and such love. And then, of course, we all then went to the nightclub and got absolutely off our faces on alcohol. Yeah, that's what I remember about it. I just remember that vibrancy, the the noise as well, that kind of banging of the drum, you know, that kind of people coming towards you and that kind of anticipation. It was so exciting, so exciting. And even now when I go to Pride, I still get that. I still get that. It's, it is invigorating. See, if I think about my first Pride, it's kind of the opposite. Okay. Bear in mind that the first Pride I went, I went to was in Buenos Aires and was in the early 2000s, so now 20 years ago. Oh, dear. Um, I know, I'm getting old. Um, you said it. <laughs> <laughs> bitch. But it was a time in my life as well, sort of my late teens, early 20s, where... I wasn't a very nice gay person. So it was a moment in my life where um, I could actually be quite homophobic at times. Why? I don't know. It just, I, I, I just felt, I felt really unrepresented. I felt like I didn't really fit within the gay world. So I didn't particularly fit in the bars and clubs that were available in my hometown because I was fat. Uh, And then there was this group of bears and it kind of made me realise that having one characteristic in common isn't sufficient to build relationships and for environments to be good environments. It it was quite a toxic environment so I didn't and I didn't feel like I fitted in there as well. So I kind of got in my head the idea that, well, gay men were for me to have sex with and that was it. So mm. there was kind of like a divide between my life and being gay. So you didn't doubt your identity as a gay man. No. You just doubted your the way that you would form a relationships with other gay men. Yeah, I think that I, I felt like I didn't belong and, and I felt really unrepresented. I'm, 
And I think this is where my first pride was actually quite important to me and quite a revelation because what it taught me as well is about how media represents certain groups. And the reason for this is that if you if you saw in Argentina, early 2000s, anything related to homosexuality was very sort of over the top. There was no... What media showed, there was no room for a gay person or a queer person who wasn't extremely sort of loud and very sort of like in your face. Like flamboyant camp, that kind of thing. Not just flamboyant and camp. Is media kind of portrayed um, queer people as if being queer was the only thing going on in your life. As if you didn't exist beyond being queer. And for me, who um, I was studying engineering, I was very involved in, uh, in my job and in sort of my professional life and was very involved with my friends and uh, and certain groups, I didn't feel represented by, by what media showed. And the important thing is that when media showed Pride before I, I, I went, that's what they showed. They showed, you saw Pride, and the whole country got the idea that Pride was a group of 10 men dancing naked in the street. Mm. Which, again, don't get me wrong, I... I think that visibility of everyone is important. And I think that nowadays, people dancing in the street, people naked in the street, or people in drag, um, um, every spectrum of the LGBTQ culture deserves that visibility. In my early 20s, I didn't feel like that. I because, And I think it was a little bit of pettiness from, uh, from myself because I felt like I didn't... F- that I wasn't represented and therefore I kind of didn't want anyone else to be represented as well. Mm. Which again, is very, very petty. I very much appreciate that. And again, 20 years on, I'm a different person now. But when I went to Pride and I kind of had the actual look of what Pride was rather than what media was showing, you saw... Again, this diversity, the true yeah. meaning of diversity, you, you saw bears, you saw, you had your a group of lesbians, your group of uh, leather, your, uh, all of these different groups within the, uh, within the rainbow, all marching together. And you could see that for most of them, it was very political as well. It wasn't necessarily the idea of, of, of sort of a celebration. It was more a protest. So being there, I think that it really helped open my eyes to what diversity actually means and what representation actually means. But also, it kind of taught me to basically doubt media. And I think as well, doubting other places where you might come into contact with LGBTQ plus people, you go to a bar and, you know, a gay bar is what I'm talking about, but not everyone drinks. So... Already, you're, there's there's a certain aspect of, of of our wider community that we're not going to meet, you know, mm-hmm. and and I think that's what's amazing about Pride because it does bring everybody together because it tries to be as accessible as possible, you know. At Birmingham Pride, I remember a couple of years ago they had, you know, a part of the parade was people who had different disabilities, you know, and 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 all that kind of representation, you know, and it's like what you say as well. Being queer is not everything you are; it's a part of 
of who you are but there's so much more to you to make you that individual and I think like as you say Pride is the perfect place to kind of really showcase that and say hey you know there's more to us than just what our sexuality is yeah indeed and I think that since then I went to Pride quite a a few more times and I, I met people and got more involved I think I've grown as a person I learned to be more sort of open to diversity um, again I think my early 20s I wasn't really an, a, a nice person I had a lot of prejudice mm. towards the LGBTQ community which fortunately I don't feel I have anymore no. I, I feel like I've learned and I've grown a lot but yeah, I think that my first pride was really, really important for me from that perspective. I think it really helped me grow as a person. So I really, really valued that aspect of it. Funny enough, I haven't really gone a lot to pride here in the UK. But to be honest, that's a little bit of a different topic. It doesn't have to anything to do with queer people or the queer community. It kind of has to do with the organisations. Well, we actually met. Our first date was on the Pride weekend, wasn't it? Yeah, indeed. Birmingham Pride, and neither of us were going. And and I think your kind of stance on on Pride is 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 very commendable. And I do agree with you. And and, and what we're getting at is it's the commercialization of Pride, isn't it? Yeah, I think that let's put two things together side by side. So we've all seen the news lately about Manchester Pride. We've all seen the news on how last year they've only donated charity 3% of their income, which for something for an organisation that is supposed to work for the community doesn't really sound very much working for the community when 3% of your income goes to charity. And apparently, and again, I don't have confirmation of this, but the president, CEO or whatever has almost a 100 grand salary. So put that next to our interview with Heidi Victoria from Priding Hall and the effort that they make to make it a free event. Yeah. And last, was it last year? I think this year, what is it? Over £100 for for the full access ticket to Manchester Pride. I feel like our prides, by making it a, a paid pride, you are excluding, you're pricing out, potentially the people that need it the most. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I, I, I'm, I'm just kind of thinking. I'm just kind of turning it around because I don't think you can put all the blame on on the organisers because these these things cost a lot of money. Yeah, you know, you can't put on what Manchester Pride does, what Birmingham Pride does for free. You, you, you just can't. And I also think they'll only price it at a point where they know that people are willing to pay for it. Mm, yeah, but again, I think, and that's the thing. I think the whole organisation of Pride for me is a little bit. I have an issue with. I mean, it's pride. It's still supposed to be a protest. It's still supposed to be about visibility. It's still supposed to be about giving queer people a safe space to be themselves. And we're talking about people here in the UK. We're talking about people everywhere in the world who still get kicked out of the house for uh, being queer, who live on the streets, who basically have very, very difficult circumstances. And... You know, if you're an if you're an artist and you're going to do Pride, why would you charge a fee for it then? So realistically, you're not as an artist, you're not supporting your your queer fans. You're just profiteering from them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the organisations for Pride again, they seem to be profiteering a lot. And you have all of these corporate sponsors. And 
when it comes to corporate sponsors, it is worth mentioning that there are a lot of companies in the UK. There are a lot of companies who do a lot for diversity, sort of to promote sort of equality amongst their employees within the organization. So they, they, they're not necessarily evil corporations, if you like. But you have to understand that sponsoring pride cannot just be a PR thing. Well, it's like the whole thing, isn't it? When companies change their social media logo and and put it, make it the rainbow flag for Pride Month and then, you know, 1st of July, it's like, you know, yeah. bye gays, you know. And again, don't get me wrong, a lot of companies do a lot, not just during Pride Month. So in, a lot of people deserve it. I just think that there's not very clear visibility between the organisations that are sort of riding the rainbow to uh, get money are the ones who are actually properly working for LGBTQ rights and for these spaces within their organisations. Yeah. So again, I think that that corporate aspect of Pride and that, all of these commercial aspects of Pride makes me just really not like going to it. And at the end of the day, it's mostly it's going to the same bus that you go all year round for free, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, my, my I was just thinking about this while you were saying it and I was thinking, well, where has got it kind of right? And... As you know, not long before we met, I went to Australia. Yeah. And I went to Sydney, Mardi Gras. So mm-hmm. This was back in 2018. It was all very dramatic. I was meant to be going with my ex. And, well, that ended. <laughs> that <laughs> I don't, crashed and burned. Don't really want to give him any more airtime. So I ended up going to Australia by myself. And I went to Mardi Gras. And I had the best time ever. Mainly because there was lots of nice Australian men there who helped me out <laughs> and helped me sort of shall we say sort of love myself again really mm-hmm. um because I was pretty down um I'd been through a really really rough few months and didn't really feel very sexy and you know it's great when you jump off a plane and 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 all these literally all these Aussie men throw themselves at you and you're like oh actually maybe I am quite attractive but I mean the whole kind of Mardi Gras thing was just amazing and I think don't get me wrong, Cher was performing when I was there and she was like $100 a ticket or something. But it was, there was the main parade and there was so much happening there that was for free. So you kind of had the best of both worlds, really. You could spend the whole weekend and not spend anything. And you had all the community groups who were working together for the main parade. I mean, the Sydney Mardi Gras is incredible. I mean, you've got thousands and thousands of people lining the streets and it's still pretty old school, like people stand on, you know, like soapboxes so they can get a better view over the crowd and things like that. I was a bit talking about commercialisation of pride. I paid to sit in the VIP seat, so they had like bleachers. VIP. But it starts, the, the, the Sydney Mardi Gras parade starts with dykes on bikes. And I think this is a tradition that goes back from whenever they, whenever they first started doing the parade. So okay. you have all these lesbians on bikes and they and they drive up and down this road, and they make such a racket. You can hear them coming. The thing is, it sounds like so much fun. Well, I was in the queue waiting to get in, because as I said, I was in this kind of VIP area, and you could hear the roar of the bikes. And I was like, it's the tags on bikes, I need to get in. But yeah, I just got in, and I got to see them, like, whoosh past. And then they had the 78ers, who began... They're called the 78ers because they started Sydney Mardi Gras in 1978 and they kind of walked through and some of them, bless them, are getting on a bit now. So they had a little bus for them that they could sit on. It was, I mean, it was just absolutely beautiful. 
the year I was there, same-sex marriage had been legalised the year before, so they were also kind of celebrating that. They had a wonderful, very moving part where the First Nations groups came out as well. Oh, so that's really nice. It was all kind of, you know, and, and and then in between that you had incredible dance routines. You had the big corporations. Netflix were there. I think Danny Minogue was on their float, like kind of having a bit of a boogie. Qantas were there, um, the, the national airline. Mm-hmm. of, um, And that was amazing. I mean, they basically had every one of their... I don't know who was flying in the air that <laughs> night. They had literally every one of their air stewards. And they did this dance routine too. It was a, it was an, an ABBA song, obviously. You know, and I was just high-fiving people and stuff like that. It was just amazing. And um, and then <laughs> I remember I left the, the parade finished. And, like, the whole road, the whole street is just covered in glitter and sparkles. I mean, it's like it's like a unicorn had been sick, like, <laughs> everywhere. And you know what? When I woke up the next day, I mean, admittedly, I woke up quite late. But it had all gone. And basically the whole community will come out first thing and they will sweep the road. And it was just, it was just amazing. Like you wouldn't have known it it, had been there all that, you know, basically a year of, Mm -hmm. a year of, um, a year of preparation. But it was, it was just amazing. I mean, very, very different experience to here in terms of going out to the bars. Mm. Men and women don't tend to go to the same bars. So afterwards when we went out, they have like a a weird open-toed shoe policy as well. So they can basically keep out women from the bars if they don't want, if they get groups of particularly straight women who come in. And I did find that a bit strange because I'd seen all this kind of inclusivity in the parade and then the kind of clubs were, were a bit different. I don't know, that that's a little bit weird. For me, inclusivity is a two-way street, isn't it? It's, uh, so for me, inclusivity is um, sort of spaces uh, spaces that weren't open for LGBTQ people to become open to LGBTQ people. But at the same time, it's the other way around as well. It's the LGBTQ spaces welcoming people outside of the LGBTQ. I mean, I mean for me, that's that's equality, that's inclusivity. I mean, one one of the very nice men that I met there did explain to me, he said that it's much more, a lot of the kind of bars and things have moved out to the suburbs and that's much more mixed. There's a lot more kind of more informal things that mm-hmm. happen happen there. So maybe I didn't see see all of I don't what know, Sydney had to offer in that kind of sense. I know there's some, I, I know there are some gay bars that do have here in the UK, they don't allow women uh, in. And what they say is that they don't want the Hindus. Uh, but they there. can't say that. But they can't say that. But the thing is, I, Hindu or non-Hindu, it doesn't matter what gender you are, if you are disrespectful to the other people in a venue, you just don't belong there. And it's about respect. So whether you're a Hindu, whether you're a woman, whether you're a man, whether you're queer, whether you're not queer, it doesn't matter. As long as you're respectful to the people around you, then that's all that matters. Well, I mean, let's be honest. If you go to a gay club in the UK now, you're more likely to see a boy pulling a girl than you are like two guys pulling each other. But do you know what? I'd rather it be that way. I would rather it be that way because regardless of who's pulling who or whatever, they are still safe spaces. Yeah. And no one no one's gonna say anything if if a two guys cop off, if a two girls cop off, if two guys and a girl you know, it, it, it's what it, it, it people yeah. respect that. And to be honest, I think that um, it has to be said, I went once to uh, the London Pride March and the march was really nice, and again, it was really, uh, really uplifting. And then with some friends, we just went to a bar, had a few drinks uh, on the street, because of course there was a, a lot of people in there. And, and to be honest, that bit is lovely. And and that's the thing for me, it's really, really nice when you go and have a space to be yourself, whoever uh, whoever you might be. So that's the part of Pride that I find really uplifting, really positive, and that reminds me that Pride exists for a reason. 
But Bridex is for another reason, which is to exist on our road. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And we're going to talk about oh, we our have pride. To. We have to. So, flashback to 2020. Lockdown. So, we didn't really know our neighbours. And it was actually um, the clap that, and I'm not talking about chlamydia. Uh, for the, <laughs> That's for a the, different clap. For those of you not in the UK, every Thursday yeah. at eight o'clock, we all used to go onto the road and we would clap for the National Health Service, the NHS, yes. who were obviously battling uh, through the, the, you know, the, the front line of the yeah. COVID pandemic. And because we were doing that and it got louder every week, somebody brought a pot and pan out. I think somebody brought a violin out at one point and all that kind of stuff. And we kind of just got chatting to our neighbours. And really, we formed bonds with our neighbours that I think will be there for life now. Um, We've become really, really good friends. We've all looked out for each other in the pandemic, you know, when people have been pinged by the NHS app you know they had to isolate or even if they've had COVID and we've had to do the shopping and things like that it's been absolutely amazing yeah so it's worth saying there was a there was a process there so the club meant that we talked to the neighbours but of course it was that time of the pandemic where you could still go out but everything was closed so literally we just sat on the pavement with the neighbours having a beer like talking from one pavement to the other, so all very socially distanced, and we just started chatting. But and the, it was glorious weather last year, wasn't it? I mean, we had a summer from about March till yeah, September, September, yeah, it September was. October, yeah. And then what happened is that, if you remember, there was this idea that someone posted on uh, online, not here on the street, or um, but just online, about doing like a, a, a tea afternoon or something for B-Day. So, yeah, it was 75 years since the end of the Second World War in Europe. And that went on until, like, half two in the morning. People started bringing to the street garden furniture so we could see it. Barbecues came out at, like, 11pm. It was a great, great party. But then time passed and we started talking, well, we need to do something. We need to do something. So lift our spirits up, really, more than anything. Exactly. And it was on a Monday and you just said, oh, actually, um, Pride in Birmingham has just been cancelled. So we could do Pride. And that was on a Monday. And everyone in the street really, really rally together everyone started going and, uh, and buying whatever they could online to get delivered to decorate the street to um, basically to make pride happen on that saturday so five days later it was incredible the children who live on the street they made a banner that we had on our wall because we've got kind of a long wall that goes down part of the street from our house yeah we had a paddling pool where we did what's the fishing thing? Oh, hook a duck. Yeah. We had a lucky dip a in lucky a bin dip in, in a recycling bin. So we had loads of stuff for the kids. We had loads of food and and obviously drink. And everyone got dressed up. Everybody wore some kind of rainbow colours. And one of the things that we were missing was a drag queen because you know every pride needs a drag. You queen. You need to have a drag queen. So I um, I wouldn't say dragged up because I mean I you know if a proper drag queen saw what I looked like they'd be like uh, really hey I did your makeup and I think I did a really good job I mean you did don't get me wrong Bob you did an amazing job with with the makeup considering but... that I've never done makeup before the, the thing is we could have had someone else do your makeup but of course COVID lockdown socially distanced we didn't want to have anyone sort of like in my face in your face apart from you apart from me so I had to do your makeup but I mean I didn't tuck 
Um, I, you know, I didn't shave my legs. Not that that's a prerequisite of being a drag queen, but um, yeah, I looked pretty ropey. We'll, we'll post some pictures up. We'll yeah. post some pictures up so people can decide for themselves. But I had a lovely yellow dress that I bought from boohoo.com. Uh, and I just I just felt fabulous. Uh, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. And it was such an uh, an amazing day. Everyone came out. I think that is probably, again, it, it, I, and that's the thing, it shows what pride is. We have um, around here neighbours from various different nationalities, social um, backgrounds. We have really a very diverse community. And everyone just came together. Yeah. And remember one of our neighbours? Oh, yeah. Sankram. He came at some point during the evening and and literally said to us, I've lived in the UK for 15 years and this is the most fun I've ever had. Yeah. It was really moving when he said that. Really touching when he said that. I know, it was. Another thing, it was the whole community came together then the whole street and people from the adjacent streets came together as well. It was such, such a nice event. We also had a neighbour film it. Yes, we did. And we it's did. an amazing video, an amazing video. Yeah, it was, it was just, it was just such a special day. We had a, we had a, um, I think about one o'clock we had the parade and we basically just walked up and down the street. And it's a very short street. I think it took about two minutes. I mean, we should get the Guinness World Records to see if it's the shortest Pride Parade in the world. <laughs> but it took quite a while, actually, because it was all socially distant. So, yeah, everyone was like two metres apart. Ben gave the most beautiful, beautiful speech at the start. I was so proud of him. I mean, I'm always proud of you, about, but it was oh. a lovely, lovely speech where you basically said, you know, we're the only people on the street who, you know, identify as LGBTQ, but... The fact that everybody's come out for that, you know, celebration of love and, and acceptance. That to me was more than going to Mardi Gras in, in Sydney. That was more than, oh, you yeah. know, seeing Cheryl Cole at Manchester Pride. This was, for me, that was what it was all about. And, and I couldn't have been so... In that moment, it was just it was just So beautiful. happy. Yeah, so happy. So we had to do it again. Absolutely. So we did Pride 2021. Yes, yeah, so we waited until the restrictions had lifted. So we did it a little bit later this year. But again, I think everybody was expecting that it wasn't going to be as good as last year because it was so spontaneous last year. Whereas this year, we we kind of planned it like for a good month, month, two months, um, and I month. Mean, I was I had my outfit prepared for like six months. Oh yeah, you did. Yeah, I remember it arriving at Christmas. I was like, oh, someone's keen. But I mean, in terms of the street decorations, everybody went all out. We had inflatables. We had, you know, more paint, more glitter. We did um, a, a crossing across the road. We did a rainbow chalk crossing across the road. So all the children on the street, they came out and helped us make that. So we'd really kind of upped our game. You yeah. wore heels this year. Oh, God, it was such a... I don't know how women do it. The thing is, I because I bought them, I bought those shoes online, I didn't gauge actually how high those heels were. Oh, you were in the clouds, but And it was really, really high. And it was so painful. I did stuck with them for far longer than what I thought I would. I, I did spend most of the afternoon, <laughs> part of the evening with them. Eventually they had to come out. But we also got heels for uh, in different sizes. So we did a men in heels race. Yeah, that was one of definitely one of the highlights. I think for me, after the parade, and you did an amazing speech again this year, which was just beautiful. Again, the kind of dads in heels race was just hilarious. It was so fun. I think you're right. I think the last years was so spontaneous that we thought it's it's going to be really, really difficult to top it. But 
again, it's the second year where we had so much fun. And we got the biryani that we had been waiting for a whole year. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. had promised he would make a biryani for the whole street. And probably 2021 was the time we got to taste. It was amazing, that biryani. It was. It? I mean, people are still talking about that yeah. biryani now, a couple of months later. And then Stefan brought out a lot of barbecue in the oh, middle of the day as I mean, well. I hate so much. I don't know how I fit it all in. Well, I know. I, I always find a way. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think for me that is that is what Pride is all about. Uh, and it's it's bringing people of all different backgrounds, colors, creeds, whatever, bringing people together for for just a good old celebration of what life is all about. And that's, you know, respecting one another and loving one another basically. And you know, I think we should just leave it there because the pride that we had on our street, it was just amazing. Amazing. <laughs> So, Bab, what do you want to do now? Well, I'm thinking about my outfit for uh, Pride 2022. Are you going to continue being a resident drag queen? Well, I, do you know what? I'm thinking maybe I should let the professionals do it next year. And I think if restrictions allow, we should probably invite our friend who lives not too far away to come along and be our resident proper drag queen. Oh, and she's so good. So, definitely. Yeah, yeah we I love Ruby. We love Ruby. Love you, Ruby. But I mean, I'm quite happy to be kind of her lady in waiting or, you know, the bridesmaid to the, the main drag. And to be honest, I'm very proud of this, year, this year's outfit. So I'm not sure how I'm going to top that. So I need to start planning. Yeah. And I think we need to probably need to up the parade as well. I, I would really like some floats, some like proper moving Ooh, floats. Oh, yeah. yeah. That would be really cool. We can't have anything too big because obviously we live, we've got quite a narrow road. So it needs to be able to turn and yeah. come back. Yeah, so maybe like the Pope-mobile or something like that. Do you well, think he'd lend it to us? Probably not, but we can ask. <laughs> Should I write to the Vatican? Yeah, let's say, write to the Vatican. Can we borrow the Pope-mobile for our very own pride, rudimental pride parade on our streets in Warwickshire? Thank you. I'm sure they'll say yes. Yeah, of course he will. He'd be like, oh, brego, brego. He's Argentinian, the Pope. Oh, so it'd be like, "Um, gracias. De nada. (laughs) Ole. (laughs) I mean, your image of Argentinian sometimes is very, very distressing. (laughs) And on that note, bye. Bye. Bye.